Thanks for tuning into Upward Way Podcast. If you're looking to be spiritually blessed, moved, and inspired, there is no doubt you are in the right place. On our show, guests recount their encounter with Christ and how their lives have been transformed through the grace and love of God. And now, please welcome our host. Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guest today is a missionary pilot based in the Philippines, Davin Bennett. Welcome to Upward Way. Thank you very much, um, Brother Marlon. The blessings to be here. And it's also my blessing. I know most times you are up in the sky somewhere, <laughs> zooming across the length and breadth of the Philippines and by extension the world. But it's good that you could land and be seated to share your testimony with us here today. And I can promise the listeners that you are in for, usually I say a treat, but you are in for a nice slice of pineapple. <laughs> First up, uh, Davin, who is a missionary pilot? Let's start there. Um, a missionary pilot is someone who basically um, flies an airplane as a pilot, and he's missionary from the perspective of he's not financially compensated as a pilot. So it's missionary because we know missionary itself is a term we use for either your salary is really low or you get no financial compensation at all. So a missionary pilot would be someone who uh, flies or navigates an airplane doing missions for little or no financial compensation. Sounds pretty interesting. And I know for many persons, it's pretty unique. So, you know, how did you get into this? I know that there are several phases to this journey, but, you know, in the simplest sense, before we dig deep, you know, how did you get into this whole idea of being a missionary pilot? There's three steps I use, and I've been sharing it with others. There's three steps to doing something amazing for God. Number one is a heartfelt desire. Um, I had the desire in my heart that I would like to get involved in mission aviation to reach more people. And uh, number two in that step is take that to the Lord in prayer. So I, I took it to the Lord in prayer and um, just searching my heart, trying to figure out if this is from my own personal desire or the Lord definitely put this desire in my heart. And then number three is wait for divine providence. It's God's opening, his lead in his provision. And um, that three-step, Brother Marlon, has opened the way for me to be serving now as a missionary pilot since 2018. Wonderful. The next aspect, as I said, you know, there are various layers and I will be kind of hopping from one end to the next. But when many individuals think about missionary work and especially with flying an aircraft, the focus can be on the thrills and, you know, the excitement. But, you know, I, I know it's really a humbling experience. So let us say there's someone who has that sort of interest. I don't want to use the word passion, but an interest, you know, based on what you have seen, you know, is it all about thrills and 
you know, excitement, that kind of thing, or it's just, you know, just as you said, having a heart for the work? Uh, one of my missionary pilots, mentor and good friend and like a brother to me, uh, his terminology of it is the glamour. He's like, if you come into this for the glamour of it, very quickly that glamour is going to fade. And um, that's been my experience. Fortunately for me, I did not get into it for the glamour, but I was actually a missionary, medical missionary in the Philippines for a couple of years before I ventured out into mission aviation. And so if persons are interested, the glamour is there, but it's just enough to, I would say, massage those days when you're going to be wondering, why on earth did I get involved with this thing? I'll be honest with you. And some of the things that will quickly remove the glamour is, um, I do primarily medivacs. And these are people who are bleeding. They are sick. They vomit. Um, some of them are coming from areas where hygiene is not the number one priority. And so I consider it as very dirty work. That airplane can become filthy, stink very quick. And so you come in it for the glamour, that will only last maybe on your way to get that patient. You pick up that patient, all the glamour goes away. And one particular experience I remember was I picked up a patient, a middle-aged man, picked him up. He was wearing his diapers, had his, his wife with him. And about 30 minutes before landing, he had to use the bathroom. Now, this little airplane, Brother Marlon, does not have a bathroom. It's not a commercial airliner. It's only a five-seater airplane. There's no restroom on board. Picked him up, and he pooped in his diapers. 30 minutes before landing. Now, you can just imagine, and, and if you have any time, you just look up what a Cessna 182 looks like. It's a small little box, way smaller than a bathroom. And for him to pass his stool 30 minutes before landing, I had to endure all that odor and remember to primarily fly the airplane. And, I, and I, it's days like those, I say, honestly, Whatever glamour people come into on mission aviation, very quickly, like my mentor says, that will go away very quick. That's a unique perspective. And later, as you talk about the ministry and, you know, your page where persons can go, um, they will see exactly why I did ask that question upfront and early. So in terms of your faith journey now, because it, it has to be faith that would cause you to embark on this mission to begin with. So your faith journey as it relates to being a Christian, where and when did this begin? It all started in Jamaica, to be honest, um, very quickly. I wasn't born and raised Adventist. I became a Seventh-day Adventist in 2004. And um, an incident led to me giving my heart to the Lord fully where, you know, it's a long story, but I'll summarize it. Um, I was involved in a motor vehicle accident July 5th, 2001, and that accident claimed the lives of three individuals, everyone in the front seat, the driver and the two passengers in the front. Uh, it was actually a beach trip, going on a beach trip, end of the ninth grade school year. We were going on a beach trip when the driver lost break, then he 
you know, the vehicle just kept speeding up more and more. Um, he lost control. We went off the road into bushes. I was unconscious during the whole upheave and turn of the vehicle. And um, I remember on my way to the hospital when they, the bystanders in the community rescued me from the wreckage. Um, I was praying. I was praying that, Lord, I said, Lord, today I'm going to die. And you got to help me, you know, because this is it. This is it. I was unconscious during the whole turn of the vehicle. I woke up with blood all over my face, very weak, and all these different things, broken bones in multiple parts of my body. And I knew, Brother Marlon, that I was dying. I, I begged God for my life that day. I bargained with him for my life. And I said to him, Lord, here's the deal. I'm still young. I think I have a lot more potential in this world. I, I'm going to make an exchange here. Um, please, if you spare my life today, I will give it back to you. Um, and, and whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Just please don't let me die today. That was 21 years ago, Brother Marlon. 21 years ago, I'm still alive and kicking. And uh, what happened was, while I was recovering from the accident, um, a young Adventist ministry uh, from the community, they apparently have their own little ministry um, that they put together where they are Bible workers and preachers, laymen, etc. And they put together their little ministry and they came to my neighborhood. I'm from the slums part of Jamaica. They came to my ghetto neighborhood, put their tent, Brother Marlon, right where we play uh, football or soccer. So you have a bunch of homes. There's a small little a vacant spot in the middle. We play our games there, and they put their tent right there for four weeks. And whether I like to go or not, the steel horn is so loud, you might as well attend. And when I saw that God had brought these young people to my doorstep with the gospel, I knew what my response was going to be. So I went to the meeting, and long story short, the 4th of the 4th, 2004, I was baptized. I was still in high school, and um, this ministry invited me on my first summer break. They said, what are you doing this summer? I said, I don't know. I, I usually just find construction work or painting to earn a little bit and help have my resources for uh, school. Because, you know, I'm, a, I'm in a single-parent household. In the summertime, I work to help offset some of my school expenses. And I said, okay, I think I can, I don't mind going to try something new. I went with them, Brother Marlon. And honestly, the ambience as a newly convert in that ministry, we were doing another crusade. I, I couldn't preach. I couldn't sing. All I could do, Brother Marlon, was... I'm the guy who turns on the microphone, roll up the wire after the meeting, hit the button for recording the sermon and press play for the video or cassette tape back in those days to play the soundtrack for the special music. And then I play some CD at the end before and after the meeting, you know. And the ambience, though, was we lived together in the community beside the church and the ambience for spirituality and growth into Adventism was so amazing that I woke up during the week, Brother Marlon, feeling like today is Sabbath. 
It was so rich. We're having morning worship, evening worship, throughout the day, praying. I watched them give Bible study. And man, as a newly convert, I'll be honest, that nurturing environment gave birth to the desire for me to have faith. And I just, you know, it's like a kid being born to a medical doctor and you naturally know you got to go to university and take something, right? So as a newly convert, being born in a, in a ministry that is so strong and, and, you know, their, their desire for ministry is overwhelming, to, to be honest. I quickly knew that I would love to be a part of this group. And I'm just in their ministry as a newly convert trying to figure out what are my gifts? What are my talents? You know, how can I partner with them and get into it? Not just the guy who records the sermon, but am I going to be one of the preachers? Am I going to be one of the Bible worker or the cat? You know, and so from that experience, the journey of faith, I would say, started right there as a newly convert. So at the onset, you were thrust into being an audio engineer without even realizing it. I wanted to tell me a little about your foundation years. You mentioned the idea of being a part of a single parent household. And this is the reality of many persons, you know, in Jamaica, well, internationally, but of course, you know, in Jamaica, quite a few persons have that experience. So I want you to walk us through, you know, what was that situation like, you know, what would have been, let's say, some of the challenges, some of the difficulties you had to deal with? I imagine maybe you could have been teased at school. What were those early years like? Uh, we had a lot of financial challenges. My mom had me when she was 19 years old. I was her third baby. So she had a baby at 17. It was born prematurely. It died. Uh, same thing happened at 18. And then at 19, uh, she gave birth to me, and I've been the only kid for her ever since. Um, financially, we were really challenged above everything else. Um, she basically was an outcast from her family because I was born out of wedlock. And so she left home. She was living with her sister, and, and she said, whenever I share the story, she tells me this is what she wants me to say about her life. She said, she left home, dropped out of high school, seventh grade. And she went to live with one of her older sister. And that older sister happened to work her out like a horse, taking care of her babies and working around the home. And eventually, she said her, her sister exposed her to men very early. And so that led to her giving birth three times in, at such a young age. And so poverty kicked in very quickly. I looked at my birth certificate, uh, Brother Marlon, and apparently my mom was 19. My dad was 44 years old, 44 years old. And so by the time I get to two years old, and this is just what my mom told me because I grew up without him. So my mom's version of the story is once I hit two years old, he wanted to do nothing with her. So he put her out of the house. He kept me. And she said that she bargained with him. She begged him. She said, no, please. No, no, no. Give me my son. I don't want you to raise him. I will raise him myself. She took me and she just went on her way by faith. And 
our first home was uh, an older lady had a two bedroom house right there in in a part of Jamaica and um <laughs> the lady got sick and um the lady needed someone to take care of her and my mom said okay i'll help to take care of you in exchange for one of the rooms and so my mom started you know offering her care to the lady for nothing she wasn't able to pay her but at least we had the home roof over her head and uh, long story short um the lady got so sick that she was dying and no relative came to visit the lady so the lady said to my mom listen you're the only one who has been around me all these these years and i'm sick now i think i'm going to die so before i die i just want to let you know and let the community know as well this little house is yours the land around it is also yours and uh, brother marlon that's how we got our first home and my memory i was born 1985 my memory goes back to hurricane gilbert in 88 and i still remember that home was the only structure standing with a roof people came from all over to shelter in that place and um poverty was always there there were times when i remember my mom would go to the back of the house and just look up through the back door look up into heaven and i'm like 7 8 years old crying god i don't have food please provide something for my son and i to eat it got to a point where he felt like being in the country area is not enough uh, i'm getting older high school is going to be coming up and so she said okay i will go into the city so she left that country part of jamaica went into the more developed areas and you know offered herself to do domestic care for people as a living helper and when you do that you are not going to be home to take care of your own kids so you're out there in other people's home getting paid to take care of their babies their family and she left me brother marlon with the neighbors i'm left with the neighbors at that point and life was just tough i i had to work and help out being raised by people who are not my biological family had its challenges but the lady you know was very spiritual she had a daughter that lived with her and three grandsons so they were like my brother she was like my grandmother and her daughter was like my aunt and they had other siblings who lived close and auntie and uncle and so i was quickly adopted i saw my mom once a month sometimes yeah poverty was something that stared me in the face No if you're familiar with anything from Jamaica we got so low to find food that we would sell bottles you know when people drink the alcohol beverage and you have that glass bottle that you can sell it back um i used to walk around and collect that wash out the dirt and the filth take it to the shop just so that i could have something to eat so i was struggling with poverty separated from my mom most of my younger years growing up and that in and of itself had a lot of challenges for us it's a tough one for many persons to understand to even grasp and as you see you know there are some things you would have mentioned hurricane gilbert many persons may be wondering <laughs> what is davin talking about but for those who would have been 
born in the 80s, they would know what it is that you are talking about. And that aspect of collecting empty, empty bottles, you know, empty alcohol bottles, empty soda bottles to sell. It is indeed something that many persons would practice. Nowadays, we call it recycling, you know, reuse and all of that. But it was more bread and butter for many persons during that time. As you spoke about the aspect of, you know, your faith, being a part of that ministry post-baptism, you were still a young person. And, you know, there are many young persons who would be faced with similar circumstances, but they turn to, would say, nefarious ways. You know, they turn to a life of violence, a life of criminality, a life of gang warfare, and so on. So the question is, you know, why didn't you take that path? I know you got baptized, you know, during your mid-teens, but, you know, why didn't you find that life attractive? That's a very good question, Brother Marlon, because I went to live with my mom at around 12 years old, going on to 13. That's when I went to live with my mom in the city. So coming from the country back home, you would say I was a country boy. You know, one of those boys who were born and raised where we don't use water from a a faucet. We we get it from the spring. You haul it in a in a five gallon bucket or a 20 liter bucket kind of thing you you sweep in the yard with broom that you cut the branches and make it yourself that was my environment growing up when I went to the city I was exposed to everything you can imagine guns drugs violence I've seen teenage pregnancy people dying in my in my community I was actually living in the captured land, the ghetto part of Jamaica. So what you're mentioning, Brother Marlon, was my environment. And interestingly enough, I hung around people who smoked marijuana constantly, like my age group was into heavy smoking and drinking and girls, etc. Gun, drug, violence. I was exposed to that. But somehow I am still trying to find out why I never had the desire at one point, my mom was upset with me when I would go home. She would argue that I'm smoking marijuana. I said, Mom, I'm not smoking. Yes, you're smoking. Mom, I'm not smoking. Brother Marlon, I was so naive. Years later, I realized because I spent so much time with those other boys, I went home smelling like marijuana, but I wasn't smoking. I am trying to find a reason why, and this is what I tell people. The neighbor was very religious. They went to church on Sunday, and of all her grandkids, um, they were not really that inclined into church. So I'm the little one who is very much willing, and so I became her handbag. I was her purse, where every funeral she would attend, she would bring me. Every church service, she brought me. Weddings, um, you know, prayer meetings. So I was brought up underneath her wings very closely and she would have us memorize Bible passages before bed. And I think that because she took the time out to nurture me at that tender age when my mom was away, not doing that because she had to work. 
I would credit that lady's upbringing of me that prepared me to say, okay, when I go into the ghetto area and I'm exposed to these things, nothing from the country exposed me to alcohol and drugs. So somehow whatever seed was sown at a tender age underneath that lady's uh, wings, I think that prepared me, Brother Marlon, to say no to drugs and crime and violence. But the question is, so why was I constantly in their company? And it's because I'm an only child and boys will be boys. We want to have playmates and it's the ghetto area. So those are the playmates that I could find. And thus I was exposed. But praise God, um, something was sown at a tender age that helped me to not have no inclination. And it's interesting. In Jamaica, there is a quote I remember we learned it was a campaign, educational campaign or whatever the name, I will get the name. It was to dissuade persons from taking up drug use, say no to drug, yes to life. So as you spoke about, you know, under this lady's wings, so to speak, you know, hanging onto the helm of her skirt or we say or her skirt tail, then mm-hmm. that early influence would have been beneficial you know interviews like these opportunity like this it helps me to constantly reflect on where i am coming from believe it or not these are the platforms that's helping me to stay humble because sometimes i think pride takes over one's heart when we forget where we're coming from so to go back and reflect on the formative years and I don't want to sound like I'm already in my 70s, <laughs> still young, you know, but um, definitely it's, uh, it's, it's a blessing. It's indeed a blessing. And I know sometimes when we talk, you know, there are some young persons, they embrace this kind of discussion, this kind of sharing, while others are turned off and they say hey Davin you're only talking you were lucky you know you had a mom who was willing to work you had a neighbor but it wasn't luck in your own experience so by way of let's say an educational campaign from a spiritual standpoint this is what is your message to youngsters whether they are women or men youngsters who think that their circumstance will eventually determine their outcome. I know sometimes it does, but is it that our circumstances always determine our outcome or are there factors? You know, what is the choice element? So a youngster who has things stratified against him, against her, they are struggling, it's tough, they can't see a way out. What is your educational campaign message to such a young young individual today? Um, To be honest with you, Brother Marlon, uh, a quick summary of what I would say to young people is you cannot give up at all. I mean, even when everything is saying that there's no more hope, you just have to make that conscious decision every single day when you wake up and say, no, there has to be more to life than this. And while I was in the ghetto community, that was actually the thought in my mind 
all throughout those years being in the, in the inner city community. I talk with some of my friends who got out. Some of them are in New York, other parts of the world, living a better life, married, family, work, etc. And when we converse, that's one of the feedbacks they would give me. I said, Davin, you know, I, I know you. And I remember you were saying when we were playing around in the neighborhood and stuff, they said, you were always saying that there is more to life than this. There has to be a way out. No, even though I'm not sure exactly how that is going to happen, hope, Brother Marlon, hope is what keeps you alive. The minute you have lost hope, that's it. Resignation kicks in, discouragement, sometimes suicidal inertia, you know, all of that begins to play a role when you lose hope. But if hope is still alive, even amid the challenges and the setback and the apparent utter failure and never coming out to anything good or successful, hope is what I firmly believe in. And without that element, there's no way reality can become what hope is always looking for it to be. It's all about hope. Once there is life, there is hope. But in quoting a Bible verse, I think that was one of the verses that actually gave me inspiration when I also joined the faith as a youngster at 14 years old. Hebrews chapter 11 from the King James Version. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So just to add a, an element to what you have said, we can't see the way out, but faith allows us to see the evidence that there might be something better on the horizon. I am someone who enjoys reading books. I don't know if you are of the same nature, but what book or books have you read in your life that you would say would have had the greatest impact on your life? I did a lot of reading before I became a Seventh-day Adventist. English literature was one of my favorite subjects. English is my most favorite than English literature. So when it comes to reading, uh, Brother Marlon, I know statistically the average male from Jamaica does not like reading, but I'm on the other side of that spectrum. <laughs> so I, I love reading. I used to read my storybooks for high school and and, and you know, coming up. I used to read those in the summertime. So when I get to the school year, I'm already through all my storybooks. But honestly, when I became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, that is when I found literature that was so deep and meaningful in my life. I remember the very first book I read when I became a Seventh-day Adventist was The Creation Story from Patriots and Prophets written by Ellen White. And imagine I'm the student in high school dealing with Shakespeare and To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, these books. When I read that chapter, The Creation, from the Patriots and Prophets, I was just blown away. I actually yelled out to my friend. I said, it was a Sabbath afternoon. I think the friend was Brother Harlow. I said, Brother Harlow. How can Ellen White write about the creation like this when he was definitely not alive at that time? I mean, I can, I'm there, 
I'm seeing the canopy, I'm, I'm looking at the thing, I'm, at the grass, the, the ambience of nature. I was like, for her to pin the creation and not being there, I, re- I remember I told him, I said, this lady was super inspired to be able to pin that. And so the, the, the Adventist literature now was very intriguing to my mind because I grew up love reading. And um, the book that I've read, I've lost count. Steps to Christ, my word, brother, brother Marlon. It's a twelve-chapter book, but that thing could fill libraries for miles and miles and miles and miles if you were to emphasize the the contents of it. Steps to Christ is a book that I go to ever so often because the more I read that book, I I always see something new. Um, I have gone into like prophets and kings and just looking at the history of God's people throughout. Just amazing. So right now I'm a little on the bias side, to be honest, where I, I kind of only read the spirit of prophecy outside of spirit of prophecy. The only other thing I read is because I have to and that's aviation related material. But the spirit of prophecy, it was such amazing to me, brother, uh, Marlon, that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has literature for every single aspect of life. Like, if you want to know about parenting, there's child guidance. If you want to know about the mind, the character, personality, there's a book. I was like, man, the Adventist Church has a book for everything. And I have a desire to read, so I'm exposed to this floodgate of knowledge, and maybe I'm just the guy who is coming from a desert and I found this oasis and I'm trying to like, whoa, did you guys <laughs> did you guys see this literature? You know? But Steps to Christ is the number one book for me. As you share this, you know, it's we could say a travesty or it's you know a little sad that there are many persons who find it offensive to read these books to read the Bible or whatever literature there might be out there. But as you see by feasting on these rich resources, then it helps to strengthen and solidify our faith. I'm going to go back to your ministry as a missionary pilot. You have your own ministry, Fly by Faith. And let me just share, I'm just pulling this from the website, so if it's not 100% up to date, then you can let me know. But here's Davin's um, page for 2020. Flight hours, it would be 365 plus. Total hours flown, 600 plus. Missions, 500. Patients flown, 200. And as I said, I don't know how up to date this is. So persons, as I had asked him earlier, they will look at information like this and, you know, they may romanticize about this and it's really glamorous to do missionary work from that perspective you know it allows you to be a rising star so i know that is not your focus of course so in terms of this you know ministry applying by faith i know there are other branches i want you just to share now a little bit more about the ministry aspect places you go a little bit more what you do who are some of the persons who may partner with you all of that so essentially, um, the ministry is really by his stripes ministries. 
And flying by faith is the aviation aspect underneath that umbrella. So the ministry that God impressed me to make, uh, it's called by Stripes Ministries. And what happened was I went to a mission. Sorry to interject. You said by his. By his Stripes Ministries. That's the big umbrella there. And when you deal with by his Stripes Ministries, it covers four aspects. There is medical missionary work. There is music. There is uh, the gospel. And uh, you have the aviation. So the medical missionaries, because I went to the College of Health Evangelism in Wago, Georgia, 2010, and I got their six-month training as a certified medical missionary. The music aspect that's connected to my wife, she's a music professor, and she does stuff in the church, and also she teaches piano lessons for her, you know, income-generating efforts. And then the gospel now is, I'm actually a dropout from university. I was taking theology, never felt called to pastor a ministry, but I knew God had put it in my heart to preach the word in season and out of season. So I do take time out to pen sermons. I've been invited to many churches uh, to speak. Some of them are inspirational. Some are devotional. Some have done series on prophecy, etc. And so that's the gospel aspect. The aviation aspect now is one that of twofold in nature in that it impacts the community and bring us closer to the needs of the community. And we also help out the church to get access to far-flung areas where by boat are, are some areas, not even boat is available, but an airplane speeds up the process. So that's kind of the, the big picture of what By His Stripes Ministry does. What you have just read is from Flying by Faith, the aviation aspect. Um, it's pretty much current. The figures are not much different from what they are, you know, now compared to when I updated that website. I have 600 plus, just closer to 700 hours flight time. I've done maybe 210 or 15 patients. The mission is maybe around 510. So the figures are pretty close to what you have just said. All right. By his stripes ministries. Yeah. I can share, but I always love when my guests tell listeners where they can go to contact because as a missionary you have outlined and that's the reality it's a voluntary endeavor and the bible does say that you know the workman is worthy let me just paraphrase so as you do missionary work you know you have clothes <laughs> to wear you have shoes you know you need bed to sleep you need, you need food so in order for you to continue to work then of course individuals will contribute based on what God lay on their heart. And of course, I know it's not in your nature to be saying, you know, give me, give me. I, I know all of that. But individuals are usually impressed as the Holy Spirit to touch their hearts, you know, to tap into these ministries. So let's say someone would want to connect with you in whatever way, shape or form, whether they want to partner, they want to contribute, whatever. Where and how can they find your ministry? How can they make contact with you? What are your social media handles? All of that. They can find me. I have two websites, to be honest. Um, there is Flying by Faith, 
dot org that's where you'll find most of the aviation related stuff that people can relate to um if you want a broader picture of our ministry not just aviation but the medical missionary aspect the gospel uh medical missionary work etc um by his stripes ministries 1844.com is a website that is pregnable with a lot of information you go over there friends you will find recipes for free you'll find a link to our cookbook we do cook in schools um we have a cookbook we had put together so that's available there um you will find things about music my wife has her website uh hymnsforworship.org that talks about hymns um she has produced CDs as well and that's all available there If you'd like to send me an email, uh you can do so at flyingbyfaith2018 at gmail.com. That's flyingbyfaith2018 at gmail.com. If you find yourself on Facebook, you can look up my page. It's called Flying by Faith here on Facebook. If you are not a Facebook person but you go on YouTube, same name, Flying by Faith on YouTube. if you like pictures and a little post and you're more of an Instagram person I'm also there on Instagram the name is flying by faith those are some ways that you can reach out to me if you happen to be like from Jamaica and other parts of the world where you're more familiar with WhatsApp and you like to call or text I get that more quickly um if you go to Facebook you will see my whatsapp number there that you can reach out to me all right listeners i hope that you have your pen or whatever device you use to record information to ensure that you get all of that now it may sound as if the interview is ending it's not yet ending but sometimes when we interact we fail or we forget to allow you know our guest to share where where persons can connect So with all of this work that you do how do you strike that balance you have your wife you have your family you have your own personal needs you know how do you balance ministry balance um working full time to take time for your own care you know what is the secret <laughs> to your success in that regard Um I would say practice what I preach is a good start and as a medical missionary I know better that I need to make time for the home I need to make time for my health getting adequate rest etc and so the medical missionary aspect of my ministry and my life is what helps me to strike the balance with ministry Um I don't personally overwork myself. I do have my bedtime, I have my wake up time, um etc and uh, I'm not a scheduling kind of person but my wife is more on that side and so happy wife happy life and so she kind of strengthens my organized side and she will remind me okay I know you have to go and etc but remember that we need to get this done and that done. So Yeah, you know, Lord has given me a, a help me that strengthens the other weaker areas of my life. Because of the the missionary aviation aspect, it's very challenging. It does take me out of my comfort zone. 
Um, sometimes I do missions and unfortunately I'm not able to make it home because of weather. Sometimes things pop up and I run out of daylight time. It's illegal to fly these small airplanes in the Philippines at night. And so to prepare for that, I have what you call a survival bag. It's one where I just grab it. Once there's a call, I grab that bag and I know it has clothes and everything I need to survive for at least two or three days. So my wife, she has an understanding of that too, that the life is one that it separates us. We do get separated time to time. But when we think about Christ leaving heaven, separating from his father and angels just to come to earth to go through what he went through, uh, we claim that promise. And another Bible verse that comes to mind where Jesus said, you know, if you try to preserve your life, you might lose it. But if you lose your life for his name's sake, then you can find it again. And so my wife and I, we have that understanding that the ministry does take a lot out of us. But why are we doing it? We do it out of obedience for Christ. You know, this is the life he has chosen for me. And I'm grateful that he has given me a helpmeet who understands that. So we might wish that we can spend more time together, etc. But it's not at the expense of fighting with each other about not having that enough time. You know, we have that mutual understanding. And sometimes she will tell me, oh, boy, your your, your life is so busy. And then I say, well, your life is busy as well. I say, okay, you want to exchange life? She's like, no, no, I don't want your life. <laughs> you know, so so having someone who understands the calling on my life and playing her part, because even though I, I have to go away from home time to time, uh, I can count on her to pack my bag. You know, so I'm not walking out the door with a wife yelling at me, oh, you're gone again. What are you doing? You know, she's more like, okay. You know, be safe out there, take care, call me, text me, keep in touch, etc. She tracks my flight. She has my tracker that she tracks me on the internet. And she pretty much always knows where I'm going and what I'm doing at all times. And I imagine when you're home, you ensure that she is pampered. You know, you make some nice juice or do some cooking, some soup, whatever it is that she would be looking forward to enjoy. The last question I will toss at you relates to projections to the future. We know the future is uncertain to a great extent, but as ambitious missionaries, there is always something that God lays on our hearts or that we think about. So let's say you could expand on your ministry, you could change something. You know, what is it that I would say you sense that God is asking you to do right now. And also as that inspiration comes over you, who I would say would benefit from this expansion of your ministry? Unfortunately, the ministry that brought, that God used to bring me into the Advent message, uh, one by one, the members just faded out some of them are backsliders. Marriage didn't work out. The family got broken up. And I think there's a desire in my heart to recreate an army like what reached me. And so uh, right now I have the desire to expand with more missionaries living together, 
uh, in close proximity to each other. Um, for me, the future looks bright because it's God's work. And in spite of the pandemic and all these things, I'm still optimistic that the work must go forward. It will go forward. And God has given me so many evidences. And one aspect I'll share here is I have seen more donation coming in in a shorter time, like bigger goals now coming in at a shorter time period than before the pandemic. And that's just an evidence that people are really reevaluating their life and their expenses and they're more open to God's prompting now. And so with that, uh, that I'm observing and seeing where God is providing financially, I want to get um, a piece of land here in this area where I'm operating this airplane. I'm planning to buy a piece of land. I want to put some housing on it and I want to get some young people are young and old alike who have the willingness and the conviction to saturate this part of the Philippines with the Advent message. Not necessarily a crusade style, but recreating the environment that brought me into the church and fostered my uh, growth and, you know, development. Because when they gave me the Bible study, I got baptized. They were my neighbors. I was in their home. They were there for me 24-7. They were not just people I saw on Sabbath. I saw them during the week. Any little thing happening in my home. You know, Brother Marlon, Saturday night was one of the most depressing nights of the week for me as, a, as an Adventist. And it's because of my mom. She's not Adventist. I go home, the TV, uh, the Sabbath lunch was so filling that I never would eat dinner Saturday night when I go home. And I would stay at church until maybe the last two or three persons go home. I never wanted to go home Saturday night. The fellowship for the day was so rich from song service in the morning to the vesper thought and closing song. So going home was so depressing. And, and little by little, I was able to stop at Adventist homes on my way to my house. And we would interact more until 11, 12 o'clock. You know, and so that environment is something that I would like to recreate. Have people living in the community who are converted, convicted, the Holy Spirit is really working in their hearts. And those who have an interest, who are benefiting from our ministry, they would have access to those homes. If you just want to come and, and hang out and interact, we're there. You know, if I'm not flying and people come to the airbase, I entertain them. They come, they take pictures. They want to take a picture with me. We talk a little bit as the language allows me to, etc. And so it's, it's a big burden on my heart to try and develop this desire in my own heart. I would like to partner with other individuals who have a need or a burden for ministry and missionary work as well. And that's where I'm going in the future. Um, another aspect that I want to do is I would like to have a program where interested young people, especially in our church, intrigued with mission aviation, I want to have a, a, a mentorship program where before they go off to flight school, they can come to my airbase, hang out with me. I'm working on my ratings to be a certified flight instructor, so I want to help train them and expose them 
correctly before they go to flight school. And the reason for that is someone took the time out to do that for me. Before I went to flight school, I spent three weeks with another Adventist missionary pilot. And I saw the life. I saw everything that it entails. And I was so overwhelmed. I said, Lord, I cannot do this because when we landed in an area, it was like oxygen came to the island and people can breathe. And, and when I saw the burden and the need, long line trying to line up to get a ride on a four seater airplane, I walked away uh, after three weeks. I went home in preparation to go to flight school and I said, Lord, this is too much. I don't want to be this close to people who are in such a great need. Say, Lord, I cannot do this. And the only way I'm going to be able to do it is if you give me the desire to do it. Also, um, throughout my training, I was more focused because of the exposure. So when they went through the theory, I was not in class overwhelmed with the information. I knew I have to learn weather because weather in the Philippines is really challenging. I have to learn the dynamics of the airplane because I'm going to be loading it and I have to know where do I put food to sit, you know. So I want to have that available in the future where it's possible I can get a smaller trainer airplane and young people, adults alike can come. If persons are looking to accumulate hours, so they might want to go to the airline and they're saying, okay, I would fly an airplane by myself, buy all this fuel. Can I come and log some hours, build some time with you? And instead of the flight school or another private club, whatever, can I put fuel in your airplane, go fly missions, help people while I'm building my hours? So that's what I'm looking for. And I'm praying, you know, the desire is already in my heart. I'm praying about it. I'm just now waiting for his divine providence to put those resources and individuals in my pathway that we can partner and see to it that this becomes something that's available in the future. As the Bible text says, serve the Lord with all your heart and he will grant you the desires of your heart. We have been speaking with Davin Bennett, a medical missionary pilot based in the Philippines. I must say thanks, Davin, for this breath of fresh air, this slice or maybe a whole pineapple that you have shared with us in terms of your faith experience. But as is always the case before we go, do you have any parting words to share with our listeners? I do, Brother Marlon. Um, people ask me, you know, most of the in- interviews I get, it, it's from the, the world, you know, secular journalists, etc. But in an Adventist circle, I think I'm comfortable to share this more. To be honest with you, if you ask me what is my driving force, when I was a newly convert, every Sabbath afternoon, we would say the AY Pledge motto song, etc., right? And when we deal with the AY Pledge, it's loving the Lord Jesus. I promise to take an active part in the work of the Adventist Youth Society, doing all that I can to help others and to finish the work of the gospel. I don't know about any other Seventh-day Adventist Christian, Brother Marlon, but when I used to stand every AY and recite those words, I feel like I am patriotic in nature. I feel like a soldier that's reminding myself 
why did I join this church with its message that it, it, it professes to believe? And so whether I'm flying an airplane, that's my mindset, doing all that I can to help others and to finish the work of the gospel. If I'm doing medical missionary work in the community or the church, it's doing all that I can to help others and to finish the work of the gospel in all the world. I know we've been reciting that for years. Some churches don't even do it anymore. But that has been a burden on my heart, that loving the Lord Jesus. I promise, and I don't want to break my promise, Brother Marlon. I'm promising God that I want to take an active part in the work. <laughs> so essentially, Brother Marlon, that's all I'm doing. Just taking an active part, Say, Lord, every Sabbath, this is what I've been pledging and promising. I want to live up to that promise. What are the ways that you can help me to fulfill that part of my promise? And he said, okay, medical missionary work, fly airplane, do mission aviation, you know, sermons and health lecture and cooking schools, etc. That is basically what I want to share for those who are Seventh-day Adventists joining us. I would love for more Adventists, young and old, to embrace that pledge and have it in the heart and say, Lord, please help me to love you so much that I'm willing to take that love relationship and do all I can to help others. And, and the last part is the most key of them all, Brother Marlon. I hope we have not forgotten focus of that. Friends, there is a work to be done in spreading the Advent message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And that's me. And I hope I can find others like myself with the same passion, the same drive for the Advent message. It's all about advancing the work of Christ to the entire world. You've been in tuned to Upward Way. Do join us again next week when we'll have another interesting guest sharing his or her story of faith. Subscribe to weekly episodes on the Apple, AWR, Loud Voice, Spotify, Stitcher, or Podcast Guru apps. You're also welcome to visit Upward Way Facebook page, click like, and leave a comment. Until then, I am Marlon Walter saying goodbye. May God bless you. You've been listening to the Upward Way Podcast, the number one audio production show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world.